This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. This is Case Closed, your weekly hour of mystery that you can find every Wednesday at relicradio.com. Our first story this week is The Clever Chemist Matter from yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This one aired March 17, 1957. After that, it's Philo Vance and the Green Girl's Murder Case. His story from April 12, 1949. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. This is Harry Branson at Philadelphia Mutual Life and Casualty Company. Oh, hello, Harry. What's with you? John, I have a case I'd like you to handle for us. It's, uh, well, it's somewhat unusual. Have you ever handed me one that wasn't completely screwy? I said unusual. And I said screwy. So now that we understand each other, what's it all about? Well, absolutely nothing yet. Uh, but I'm very apprehensive about one of our clients. Oh, Harry, you're the biggest worry I ever knew. Uh, what was that? I said, who is this client? Oh, uh, Dr. Walter Merrill. Merrill? The scientist? That's right. Nobel Prize winner? The man who worked out the molecular orbital contraction, something or other? Yes, yes, that's the one. As I say, John, I'm worried. Well, who wouldn't be about him? I'll be right down to see you. Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Philadelphia Mutual Life and Casualty Insurance Company in Philadelphia, where else? Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the clever chemist matter. Expense of transportation and incidentals, Hartford to New York to Philadelphia. I didn't even stop to check my bag, but headed directly for the Philly Mutual building on Walnut Street. Harry Branson is a good insurance man, but a great worrier. Nonetheless, he'd given me some pretty important too. And after all, what do we live for? Hey, I keep the change. Thanks, Doc. John, John, what took you so long? Oh, now what's the matter, Harry? Forget to pay the rent on your office, or just forgot the key? No, John. As a matter of fact, I have the key right. <clears throat> this is hardly the place for levity. Well, surely you haven't been waiting here on the sidewalk ever since you called me. No, I haven't, but by checking plane schedules, I was able to determine when you'd arrive almost to the minute and not wanting to waste time taking you upstairs to the office. Pretty urgent matter, huh? Boy, you should be here shortly. What? Well, now, usually I arrange these things myself, Harry. Yes, and how we pay... Oh, Harry, you touch me to the quick. Oh, now, please don't misunderstand me. I... I don't mean that there's ever anything really dishonest about you your don't? expense account. Well, it's only you ought to. Believe me, I'll pad it to the hill if I think I can get away with it. Anyway, the most important reason for engaging the car was so that you can leave immediate... Malaga? Yes, New Jersey. It's a... oh, is that where Dr. Merrill is? Yes. As is his custom, he chooses to work in some isolated spot where he can't possibly be disturbed. Uh, he and his colleague, that is. Colleague? I always heard that he worked alone, freelance. And you heard right. However, he now has a professor, Theodore Nash, with him. Nash? One of our... to Dr. Merrill. Never heard of him. John, they're working together on what I'm sure is some top-secret project. Oh? Oh, say, wait. Didn't Merrill have something to do with the early rocket experiments? Precisely. Which is why I suspect their present work may have something to do with the space satellite or intercontinental missiles or something of the sort. Yeah, possible. But what has all this got to do with you? Their insurance. Dr. Merrill has had a policy with us for some years. $25,000. Oh, and he took out a policy for 10000 Beneficiary? 
Nash made Dr. Merrill his beneficiary. Oh, well, that sort of thing is often done between men working together. Harry, you know that. Yes, yeah, so that if anything happens to one, the other will be financially able to carry on what they've started. Sure, right. Which is no doubt why Dr. Merrill changed the beneficiary of his policy to Theodore Nash. So, what's the worry? No sooner was the change made than I received a letter of protest from Dr. Merrill's daughter. Who's she? Uh, Mrs. Howard Harding. She and her husband live in West Philadelphia. He, he's a welder for an aviation company, I think. Well, what did she base her protest on, Harry? She claims her father must have been coerced into changing the policy. Oh, now, wait a minute. That sounds like the hungry relative who complains about being cut out of the will. It might. If Mrs. Harding weren't a perfectly well-balanced, intelligent, and I'm sure quite unselfish person, a completely... Uh, is she good-looking? Well, yes. And uh, real sweet to you? Yes, she is. Uh, well, now, John, I don't know what you're trying to imply. Uh, uh, I do it every time. John. Particularly when there's a bit of money involved. Good-looking insurance broker like you. And you're a bachelor, too, aren't you, Harry? <laughs> John, you're pulling my leg. Oh, Harry... But then I guess we're all suckers for someone like that. That has nothing to do with it. I've had these hunches before, John, and they've always been right. Even you will have to admit that. Yeah. Yeah, I'll confess that in the cases I've handled for you so far... Why don't you call up Dr. Merrill? <laughs> I think the quaint old fellow would die rather than have a phone near enough to disturb him in his work. Oh, oh, there's your rental car waiting at the curb. So off you go, John, and see what you can find out. Okay, Harry. It all sounds like a lot of nothing you're worried about, but as long as you're willing to pay for it... And I always did like South Jersey this time of year. I drove across the Delaware River Bridge into Jersey and headed for Route 45 to Westville, Woodbury, and finally Pittman, where I picked up Route 47. What Harriet said was true. These hunches of his had a remarkable way of panning out. And yet, oh, who was I to complain? After a pleasant hour's drive through cranberry bog and farm country, through miles of orchards and the intoxicating odor of the peach blossoms, I pulled into the quiet little town of Malaga. Population, oh, I'd say around 500. First stop, the post office. Uh, Dr. Merrill? Yeah, sure. You go back the way you came, about a mile, till you say, you see the name Wampus Bung. Wampus what? Wampus means cat. Bung, bungalow. Wampus Bung. I, uh, yeah. Yeah, the doctor and the professor got the fourth cottage beyond it. White one with a fence around it. Yeah, good, thanks. And if you don't mind, you can uh, take their mail out to them. They haven't been in to pick it up for five days now. Oh, nothing wrong, is there? Well, who'd know? The way those two keep to themselves, well, you'd think whatever they're working on was the atomic bomb. Yeah, well... Just to be sure, you let them know that you're at the gate now before you try to go through the fence. Oh, what's that supposed to mean? The professor sees you prowling around. He's liable to take a shot at you. <laughs> As I drove back and toward the edge of Little Malaga Lake, the idea of getting shot at by anyone living in this peaceful, quiet place seemed ridiculous. The lake itself, by the way, looked pretty inviting. I made a mental note to come back here on my own sometime after the fishing season opened. As the postmaster had indicated, the fourth cottage beyond Wampus Bung was heavily fenced in, so I gave notice of my arrival. I had barely left the car when the door of the little cottage opened. Yes? Who, who is it? Dr. Merrill? Oh. oh, yes. My name is Dollar, sir. Johnny Dollar, insurance investigator. Harry Branson? Yes, sir, that's right. Harry Branson sent me down here to see you. Oh, come in. Come in. I'm most, most glad to see you. Please, come into the house. All right, thank yes. you. Is, uh... Professor Nash here? In the uh, 
in the laboratory. But please As come he spoke, into the, the sliding house. door on the garage at the side of the house opened. A rather swarthy man stepped out, quickly closed the door, and threw a heavy bolt on it. Then looked over toward us suspiciously. Yes, because it's better that you and I talk in in private, alone. Doctor, who is that? <laughs> oh, oh, yes, Professor. If we have a visitor, why do you not bring him here where we can both speak to him? Oh, oh yes, yes, of course. This is Mr. Johnny Dollar. Professor Theodore Nash. Mr. Dollar? I do, Professor. I'm from your insurance company. Just uh, making a little routine checkup. Oh, fine, fine. I'm very glad to see you. As a matter of fact, I wish to talk with you. (laughs) How do you do? Now, come into the laboratory. Professor, do you... Do you think it wise... Oh, of course, Doctor. Since he is not a man of science, I'm sure there is no harm in his seeing it. And... You have an experiment going, remember? But I wish to Mr. speak Dollar, to him Mr. Dollar, within these four walls, the genius of Dr. Merrill and my own poor efforts are creating things that will startle the world. Outside, the small building looked like an ordinary two-car garage, someone in need of paint and repair. But inside, it was immaculate and loaded with scientific equipment of all shapes and sorts and sizes. There were racks of test tubes, bottles of chemicals, beakers, a centrifuge... Machines and apparatus I'd never seen before, that I imagine much of the world never dreamed of. And all of it as neat as a pin, not so much as a stirring rod out of place. Ah, look, Doctor. The polymerization step is almost complete. Now, you must continue with the molecular balance check immediately. Oh. Oh, yes, yes. And you must both leave me. This must not be seen by... by anyone. Now, we understand, Doctor. We understand. I hope you will pardon me, Mr... Mr. Dollar? Yes, of course, Doctor. Oh, come, Mr. Dollar. Yes, I, I will lock the door. Yes. He, uh, he does require privacy, doesn't he? Yes. Oh, hey, you're not going to bolt that door, are you? Oh, 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 of course not. <laughs> Force of habit, I guess. Oh, it is he who keeps things locked so tightly when he's working. Unnecessarily so. But... Then uh, genius is permitted his idiosyncrasies, huh? Harry Branson seems to think you two may be working on something to do with guided missiles. A uh, very perceptive man. But that is something we must not speak about. Now, <clears throat> why have you come here, Mr. Dollar? Well, like I said, just a routine checkup. We, uh, we usually do this when a sizable policy has changed. Oh, there is something unusual about two men working together on important things, ensuring in each other's favor. Well, no. Uh, But when his daughter perhaps objects... You know Dr. Merrill's daughter? Oh, I know about her and about her unfortunate marriage to that uh, that day laborer. Nothing wrong with day labor, Professor? But one who waits for a great man like the doctor to die so that he can get his hands on the insurance money. You think that's why his daughter objected to the change? Of course. But his money will be used to further his work. By me. And, of course, for the good of humanity. I uh, see. Well, how soon do you think the doctor will be through with this experiment? An hour, perhaps two. And then he will call me in to assist him with the next, the crucial step. Uh, but, now about well, this look, insurance... why don't I run in town, arrange for a place to stay, grab a bite to eat, and then come back here? Huh? If you like. I'm sorry we have no room in the cottage. No, don't give it a second after. thought. I'll see you later. Something of Harry Branson's hunch had passed on to me. 
strange feeling about the whole setup. There was something wrong about both Merrill and Nash, particularly the latter. Something I couldn't quite put my finger on. Was Dr. Merrill afraid of Nash? I don't know. Item two, a dollar even for a quick bite in a little cafe along the highway after I'd made arrangements for a run for the night in a private home. It was not much over an hour later when I drove back to the little cottage by the lake. And then I heard it. Someone pounding on the door of the laboratory from the inside. Someone calling for help. Professor! But the lock's on the inside. Turn the lock. What? Bolt here on the... Oh, what are you... Oh. Oh, oh thank you, Good Lord, Professor. What happened to you? You look like you've been run over by... Dr. Merrill. Too late. Too late. Professor, what happened here? He beat me. Threw acid at me. The doctor? No. The man... Then he killed the doctor with a gun. He killed him. Hold, Professor. Hold. I... I... I don't know... Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. Democracy. To the many who have lived under tyranny, democracy comes as a guiding light, shining on a brighter future. That is because democracy stands for the establishment of government conceived from deep thought and free choice, rather than being based on accident and force. It is also normal that the free choice of a democratic government happens because people who choose their own government are directed by true interests in the welfare of mankind. Democracy has been proven to be mankind's greatest legacy of freedom. Now, Act Two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Clever Chemist Matter. Expense account item three, ten dollars for the services of one Dr. Frederick Foote, the only resident medico in the little town of Malaga, New Jersey. After pronouncing Dr. Walter Merrill dead, he took the badly beaten Professor Nash to his office clinic. While waiting for Nash to get in good enough shape to talk, I ran up item four, ten cents, phone call to the sheriff, who promised to come over as soon as he could enlist the aid of the nearby state police. Finally, Dr. Foote gave the word. But I suggest you talk with him as little as possible, Mr. Dollar. In pretty bad shape, huh, Dr. Foote? The intruder not only beat him severely, but threw a bottle of acid in his face. Oh? Professor Nash will never have the use of his left eye again because of that nitric acid. Has Nash said anything that might help us identify the assailant and killer? No. Now, please don't talk with him too long. Uh, Professor? Yes. Yes. Hello, Professor. Oh, Mr. Dollar... I will never see again with my left eye. He has told me. Yes, I know. I'm sorry. But the great Dr. Merrill, he is dead. What a loss. Professor. <laughs> Professor, tell me, did you see the man who attacked you? Yes. Can you describe him at all? Yes, no. Young, not more than 30. Five feet, six or eight. 
Very heavy. Yes. Stocky. And black curly hair. Yeah. Hands like working man, laborer. Come Have you ever seen this man before? No, I... Oh, here. Some water. Thank you, thank you. Do you know why he came in and attacked you and Dr. Murray? No. Was he after something there in the laboratory? No, only to kill Dr. Merrill. I tried. I tried to defend him. I'm sorry, Mr. Dollar, but I think that's enough. Yes, yes. Okay, Dr. Foote. I think I've heard enough. I managed to get back to the cottage by the lake before the police arrived and came up with one very damning piece of evidence. In one of the bedrooms, I found a picture of a wedding couple. It was inscribed, Love to the dearest father in the world. And next to the bride stood a man who answered perfectly the description Professor Nash had just given me. The husband of Dr. Merrill's daughter, Howard Harding. And then I, I thought of what Nash had said about Harding. His antagonism, his conviction that Harding was the one who resented the change in the insurance policy. But there was something else, too. That it happened when I talked with Nash in the doctor's office that... Hmm. By the time I got back to the laboratory, the sheriff and state police arrived. The sheriff, I'm afraid, must up any prints that might have been left on the bottle of acid. However, in the weeds outside, a state trooper found the pistol, a 38 caliber Luger that had killed Dr. Merrill. Fingerprints had apparently been wiped off, but the gun was carefully... Fingerprints. Before taking off in a mad dash back to Philadelphia, I stopped at Dr. Foote's and picked up one water tumbler. Item 5, 370 for a tank full of gas. Item 6, 50 cents. Parking in Philadelphia as close as possible to Harry Branson's office. John, what have you found out about Dr. Merrill? Harry, he's dead. Oh, dear. Now listen, write down the address of Mr. and Mrs. Howard Harding for me. His daughter, does she know? No, she doesn't know yet, and I hope I can avoid telling her before I write it down, will you, man? Well, yes, of course, Take this. Don't unwrap it, but see that it gets to Ray Kemper at the Federal Bureau fast. I'll check with him about it later, thanks. But, now, John... Harry, this is one time this expense account of mine is going to save you a lot of money. I think. I don't know how many red lights I skipped on the drive out to West Philadelphia, but I felt like a hound dog in a hot scent. The home of Mr. and Mrs. Howard Harding turned out to be in a nice, quiet residential area. I was met at the door by the girl in the wedding picture. A tall, very nice-looking blonde in her late 20s. Oh, yes? Mrs. Harding? I'm Terry Harding. Well, I'm Johnny Dollar from your father's insurance company. Oh, good. Come in. Perhaps you can help me make him do something about that policy of his. Well, uh, that isn't exactly... Someone has poisoned Daddy's mind, Mr. Dollar. Oh? What do you mean? It isn't that I need the money if Daddy dies, which heaven forbid. No, it doesn't exactly look as though you do. No, of course we don't. Howard's been doing so wonderfully at Colonial Aviation. Yes, apparently. And I'd had a notion he was just a laborer or something. Oh, dear, no. That's what Daddy called him because... Well, because he wasn't too fond of Howard. And that is the way Howard started before we were married. But now he's one of the officers of the company. Uh, where is he, Mrs. Arnie? As a matter of fact, I thought you were Howard when you drove up just now. He's been fishing. Fishing? On some little lake over in Jersey. He goes every Saturday all by himself. Malaga Lake? No, Malaga's where Daddy was. Mm-hmm. He and that... That what, Mrs. Hardy? Well, I... I don't know. It's Howard, I guess. What do you mean? Howard has never liked or trusted him, even though they've never actually met. When Daddy changed his insurance to name that 
Professor, there is something wrong about that man, Mr. Dollar. What, Mrs. Harding? I don't know. Daddy always worked alone until he came along. Daddy's such an alert, bright-eyed little busybody in spite of his age. Your father... Like a cute little wound-up spring, hopping about like a... Mrs. Harding. Yes? Mrs. Harding, when I saw your father... You've seen Daddy. Well, then you know what I mean. He was tired. Almost in a daze. He spoke with difficulty. Oh, no. You're mistaken. He chatters away like a jaybird. He... What is it, Mr. Dollar? Oh, he must have been doped. He looked as though... Hi, honey. Well, I'm just as lousy a fisherman as usual. Not a single... Oh, excuse me. Mr. Harding, just tell me one thing. Well, that depends. Who are you? Mr. Dollar's from the insurance company, darling. Not Johnny Dollar. Yeah, that's right. Well, I've certainly heard of you. Uh, tell me... No, you tell me, Harding. Where have you been? Why, fishing. Where? Over in Jersey. Where in Jersey? A little private lake. Where? Over near Mount Holly. One place I know of where nobody else ever goes, where I can get rid of the cobwebs, it's my job. Hey, wait a minute, Dollar. What is this? Harding... You've been identified as the man who murdered Dr. Walter Merrill. What? I'm sorry, Mrs. Harding. I'm sorry, but it's true. What are you talking about, Dollar? You didn't know about it? Of course not. How could I? Where did it happen? How? At his place in Malaga. Oh. Professor Nash. I'll kill that man. You'll take it easy. You seem to forget that so far you're the only suspect in the case. You're out of your mind. Was anybody? It was that Nash. Never have trusted that man. And the insurance policy. If anybody killed Dr. Merrill, it was that professor. Now listen to me. Nash was with Dr. Merrill when he was killed there in his laboratory. Of course he was. But Nash was attacked also, beaten, acid thrown at him. He lost the sight of one eye because of it. And I tell you... You sure? Yes, of course I'm sure. It was I who found them, Nash beating against the inside of the door of that laboratory, crying for help. A door that was bolted on the outside. But, Dollar, I... You're sure of that? I'm sure. Well, I still think... Oh, Terry, I'm sorry, honey. Here, let me... Howard, it's so terrible. Better answer that phone, Howard. Yeah. Hello? Yes? Oh, yes. It's uh, for you, Mr. Dollar. Oh, thanks. Terry, come on. You've got to pull yourself together. Johnny Dollar. Right. John, this is Harry Branson. I just received a call from Mr. Kemper at the Federal Bureau. Yes. He says he must see you immediately. Call him back, Harry. Tell him I'll be there in 15 minutes. Harding, just to keep things straight, I wouldn't leave this house if I were you. Well, now, wait a minute, just Dollar. Just sit tight. I think you're in the clear. More red lights got passed up on my way into the Philadelphia offices of the Bureau. So Ray Kemper felt that whatever he'd found was important. If so, it would back up one of my suspicions. But in view of the circumstances, that bolted door in the laboratory, for instance, how could it? Important is putting it mildly, Johnny. The prints you found on the water glass, Ray. Three sets. One, yours. Yeah, well, naturally. To uh, Dr. Frederick Foote, who is currently practicing medicine. I know, I know, in the town of Malaga, New Jersey. That's where the glass came from. Oh, but the third set of prints. Yes. I had to go into the international file for them. And Johnny... Nash? Theodore Nash? Nash. Nashevsky. What? Theodore Nashevsky. Chemist from one of our not-so-friendly countries. Huh? Expert on explosives. One time, he was thought to have attempted to enter this country. That was in 1940. Ray... Have you got any pictures on him? Plenty. From the time he was a kid. Uh, here. Tell me how you picked up these prints. The beard in this picture. That looks like him, all right. Yeah, this too. The shaved head. Almost as though he tried to keep changing his appearance. Johnny... Oh, wait it... a sec, wait a sec. 
This picture of him as a youngster, this eye patch on his left eye. Our dossier is pretty complete. He was quite an athlete until he injured that eye. But it doesn't show in these other pictures, and he hasn't a glass eye. No, his eye always looked perfectly natural. Now, Johnny, if you have information... Ray, this has done it for me. Thanks. Hey, now, just a I'll see you. Hey, Johnny! This is Kemper. Give me a man to tail Johnny Dollar. All the way back to Malaga, New Jersey, I hoped my rental car would hold together. It did, in spite of the fact I pushed it all the way. International intrigue is a bit out of my line, but this time, so help me, I was beginning to feel like an FBI man. I stopped at state police headquarters along the way, and according to them, Nash was off the hook. Not only because of the acid thrown in his face, but even more important, because of my own testimony that I'd found them locked in that laboratory. I stopped again at the lab. Nothing. Then back to Dr. Futsal's. Very well, Mr. Dollar. When they arrive, I'll insist that they wait for you. All right, thanks, Doctor. Well, Professor, you're sitting up. Oh, have they found anything, Mr. Dollar? Have they found the men who attacked us and killed poor Dr. Merrill? Professor, I think I have. Oh? But tell me something. Yes, of course. Your, uh, your government doesn't pay you very well, does it? Merrill and I were not working for the government, Mr. Dollar. Although, of course, the results of our work... I'm talking about your government, your own real boss. I do not understand. No doubt it's very much interested in anything this country develops in the line of guided missiles, that sort of thing. Mr. Dollar... Now, let me go on. Merrill was doing important work. Stuff that would be of great value to any country in the world. Of course. Your country would have paid you well for the results of his work. But, brother, they'll never get it. I do not know what you are talking Money, about. Money, the loot from Merrill's insurance, sure. Sure, it was enough to get you out of here after you'd gained the knowledge you need of Merrill's work. See here, Dollar. After you'd killed him, before he could give to his country, the United States, what he'd invented. You are a he fool. Come... I was beaten, The poor too. old man put up a pretty stiff fight, didn't he? Do you think I would have done this to myself? You My gave eyes... yourself away earlier when you reached out for a glass of water I handed you right here in this room. A man who'd lost his sight in one eye would have lost his aim until he got used to it. Funny, though, it didn't come to me until you later. You are mad. You haven't seen out of that left eye since you were a kid. I tell you, you are mad. And a little acid burn to make it look like somebody had thrown it at you would be well worth the alibi it gave you. Feodor. That's right, Feodor Nashevsky. Uh, listen to me. You, you were the one who found us locked in the door bolted from the outside. You found us. Yeah, also the cord, the string you used to pull the bolt, too. That you looped over the bolt and pulled after you got inside. You couldn't have. I dropped it in the vat of acid. Thanks. I was bluffing. But I made a lucky guess. What? <laughs> oh, what a brain. Lyshevsky, I'm sure glad you're not working on our side. <laughs> the capsule he fished out of his pocket never got to his mouth. And I'm afraid he won't see very well out of his other eye for a while. My knuckles still hurt. And it was lucky for him that the police arrived. I'm afraid I don't like guys like him. Expense account total, including all the incidentals I could think of, and transportation back to Hartford, eighty-four thirty-five. Remarks? Well, don't beef on this one, Harry. The criminal, in spite of being the name beneficiary, doesn't get paid. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, 
Here is our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, a real close look at a little-known but very dramatic side of Hollywood. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Duff. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote tonight's story. Heard in our cast were Virginia Gregg, Harry Bartell, Howard McNear, Forrest Lewis, Jack Crucian, Russell Thorson, Frank Gersel, and Bob Bruce. Musical supervision is by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Anything else, Mr. Vance? Not that I can think of at the moment, Miss Williams. Let me know when Miss Deering comes in, will you please? Yes, sir. Oh, it's time for the news, Mr. Vance. Shall I turn on the radio? It's the only way I know of that I can hear the news, isn't it? <laughs> yes, sir. Here we are. Mr. Markham didn't call this morning, did he, Miss Williams? Why, no, sir. We haven't heard from the district attorney since the movie murder case, Mr. Vance. I guess he must be busy, huh? I guess so. And that's the news from Washington. On the local scene, police are baffled over a mysterious murder that occurred about midnight last night. Jane Green, daughter of wealthy merchant Eric Green, was found stabbed to death near her home. Neither her distraught parents nor her sister Penny could advance a motive for her death. Police Sergeant Heath has all available men working on the case. Although lack of clues may hinder their operation, Heath disclosed. Other Please turn that off, Miss Williams. Includes yes, the finding of a kitten. Another murder, huh, Mr. Vance? And the radio said that the police are baffled. The police aren't the only ones, Miss Williams. I'm a little puzzled myself. You're sure Mr. Markham didn't phone me? I'm positive. You could call him, you know, Mr. Vance. Yes, I know, but... Oh, don't bother, Miss Williams. I'll get it. Oh. 
Vance speaking. Hello, Vance. Markham. Well, how are you, my friend? I rather expected this call, but I expected it earlier. What do you mean? I just heard over the radio about the mysterious murder of Jane Green. I understand there are no clues. Well, uh, uh, yes, that's right, Vance, but some will turn up. They always do, you know. But I just called to check with you and tell you I'll be busy on this case for some time, so we won't be able to get together. Markham, don't you... Don't I want you to work on this case, Vance? I don't think so. Sergeant Heath and his men will find something. Thanks just the same, Vance. I'll be talking to you. Bye. Goodbye. What are you thinking about, Mr. Vance? Miss Williams, Mr. Markham doesn't want me on this case. He has a reason, he thinks. But I think I know what that reason is. Desk, Daniels. Joe, this is McNamara. Give me a rewrite, man. I've got something hot. Give it to me, Mac. I'll take it. Get ready. Here it is. I'll give it to you fast. You can check me for spelling when I'm finished. Shoot. While police were combing the city for the mysterious slayer of 20-year-old Jane Green, the killer struck again. Penny Green, older sister of the dead girl, was murdered in the identical manner. I got it. Her body discovered by a passerby in an alley near the Green Mansion. Yeah. A singular feature of the killings, aside from the fact that a knife was used in both instances, was the fact that neither of the victims wore any makeup whatsoever. The meaning of this clue, if it is a clue, is still vague, Sergeant Heath of the Homicide Department admitted. That's all so far. I got it, Mac. You don't have to check for spelling. Better keep on the yarn. It's page one. We'll shoot whatever you give us into the later editions. Right. Okay, Joe, you know what happens if the cops turn up the killer. I know, Mac. You'll call me back. Look, Heath, I don't want to be hard-boiled, but there must be something on those two murders that you've turned up. You've been working on them all day. Oh, I'm sorry, D.A. I've had men all over the greenhouse. I've had them checking the lives of those two girls. Something will crack. Something better, Heath. Eric Green is an important man. Have you spoken to him? Well... Have there been any threats made against him or his family? Uh, he and his wife have been under a doctor's care. But, but, but I got to him for a while. Now, nobody tried to hold the guy up for dough, and he can't give us any leads at all. Heath, we've got to find that murderer and find him fast. It looks like whoever it is wants to wipe out the entire Green family. You've got to get me some action. Well, we're working, D.A. Work harder, then. Get me some results. Look, D.A., how is it you haven't brought in your friend Philo Vance on this case? How it... Well, uh... Never mind how it is. This is a police case, and you represent the police department. Well... That's all, Heath. Call me if anything breaks. Okay, Mr. Markham, but I still don't know why you didn't call in Vance. You know something, Daddy? What? I just seem to fit into your arm... Isn't that wonderful? What's wonderful about it? I tried you for size before I decided you'd be my girlfriend. Nice party? Ah, you throw the best parties in town, Daddy. What's with this Daddy business? Am I old enough to be your old man? Oh, Daddy, you're so silly. When I call you Daddy, I don't mean Daddy. I mean Daddy. Okay, so I'm Daddy. Hey, Peggy, how about a dance with the company, huh? Hey, everybody. 
Peggy's going to dance. Oh, please, Daddy, not now, huh? Later. All right. It's up to you, baby. Hey, everybody. Peggy's going to dance for you. Later. Ah, oh, thanks, Daddy, darling. I just like it here with you. It's so cozy. Cozy in a joint with 20 people? Uh-huh. I don't know how you figure that, but it's okay with me. You know, I've been wanting to ask you something, Peg. Hmm? How'd you like a job in that place I run? Me in a gambling house? But what could I do? Look pretty. Take the suckers' minds off the dough they lost. What about it? Oh, sounds good, Daddy. I'll let you know. Now, suppose you let me know something. Anything, baby. What's bothering that pretty blonde head of yours? What I want to know is why you threw this party. What are we celebrating? What are we celebrating? We're celebrating the death of two dames. Jane and Penny Green. Mrs. Green? Where are you? Over here, Jim. I'll keep the lights dim so as not to disturb Mr. Green. Come over. Thanks, Mrs. Green. How is he? He, uh, he isn't too well. The shock of what happened to Jane and Penny has done something to him, the doctor says. He's resting in the next room now. If, if we don't talk too loud, we won't disturb him. I, I just came in to see if there was something I could do, Mrs. Green. Oh, thank you, Jim, but there isn't anything. I, I know how you must feel. You were practically a member of our family. A few more months and I would have been. This awful thing hadn't happened to Jane. Yes. Two months more and we'd have been married. I can't believe all of this. I can't either. It's very hard for all of us. I loved those two girls. They couldn't have been closer to me if I'd been their real mother. I know, Mrs. Green. Both of them used to say that all the time. Please ask me if there's anything you want me to do, will you? Oh, thanks, Jim. I just can't get over how this all happened. Eric and I were sitting here playing chess. We thought Jane was in her room. Then the phone rang, and it was the police telling us what had happened. I wasn't supposed to see her last night. She said she was spending the evening at home with you. I know. That's why Dad and I didn't go out at all. We were here all evening together. Oh, Jim, who could it be who's trying to wipe out our family? I don't know, Mrs. Green. But I promised myself something, though. I won't do any sleeping until the murderer of your daughters is caught. Still nothing, Heath. What are you doing, man? I'm sorry, D.A., but you told me to call in and report, so I'm calling in and reporting. But I haven't got anything new to tell you. We're checking every angle. You're not talking to the newspapers, Heath. You're talking to me. I not only want to know what you're doing, I want to know what results you're getting. Remember that. Well, how can you get results when you can't get any clues? Answer me that. I don't know, Heath. If I did, I'd be doing it myself. I wish you were doing it yourself. Okay, D.A., I'll call you back. Goodbye. How can you get results when you can't get clues? Hello, Markham. Vance. Vance, you're just the man I... Oh, uh, how are you? Well, I think I'm all right. That is, I was all right until I didn't hear from you and the Green Sisters' murders. Oh, that, Vance. Uh, we're doing pretty well with that, thank you. I just didn't think I ought to bother you. Bother me, Markham? Oh, come now. You know how I feel about murder cases, especially those that are so completely puzzling. We'll find out who killed the Green Girls, Vance. 
Thanks for your interest, but we'll find out for ourselves. I'm a little busy now, so... Mark, I just called the newspapers and told them that I was working on the case. You did what? You couldn't, Vance. Why not? Because that's the one thing I didn't want to happen. Well, it's happened. So I don't believe there's anything you can do about it. But, Vance, you don't know what you've done. I think I do. Markham, my friend, I appreciate what you tried to do. Somebody called you and told you that if you called me in on these killings, they'd kill me. You know that? I reasoned it. Right after the first murder, you got a phone call threatening my life. If that somebody had threatened yours, you'd have laughed at him and hung up. But you couldn't take a chance with my life. The caller pointed out that he wasn't asking me to do anything that was against my oath as a district attorney. I debated quite a while. I'm sure you did. That call you got was very complimentary to me. Was it a man or a woman? It was hard to tell, Vance. Whoever it was used a handkerchief over the telephone mouthpiece and disguised the voice. You know, of course, I'm glad you figured out why I didn't call you. (laughs) You're not worried about that threat? Hardly. Markham, I've read up on this case, and I know the important facts. That the two sisters were killed in the identical manner. That neither wore makeup. That one of the sisters was engaged to a man named Jim Manning. Yes, Vance? I'll tell you this. Jane, the first girl killed, was called out of the house by somebody she trusted. Somebody who said it was urgent. The lack of makeup is that clue, Markham. Jane Green would never have left the house without taking time to put on makeup if she hadn't known the caller and he hadn't said to hurry. And the other sister, Penny, she was called out by the same person on the same urgent pretext? I'm not so sure about that. Vance, Penny had on no makeup either. You said yourself there was no other reason you could think of except an emergency message. Yes, I did, didn't I? Well, Markham, there is one other reason. Only it applies to Penny and not Jane. If it's all right with you, I'm going up to see Mr. and Mrs. Green. I promise you some action on these two killings, Markham, and I won't be too long in keeping that promise. City desk, Daniels. Joe, this is Mac. Yeah? I got an ad to the Green Sisters murder case. Go ahead. Philo Vance, brilliant private investigator whose keen mind has helped the police on numerous criminal cases, has entered the Green Sisters murder case. Right. Vance, in a specially prepared statement, declared that while he has no definite clue to the slayer of the two girls, he is confident that there will be a break in the case within 24 hours. I got it. District Attorney Markham, who previously had declined to the state why he had not asked his friend Vance to investigate the murder, said to this reporter, Hey, I uh, do get a byline, don't I, Joe? The byline runs for the rest of the story, Mac. Yeah, just want to be sure. District Attorney Markham said to this reporter, quote, Vance is confident that he can break the case in 24 hours. Oh, I did, Joe. Vance made a crack like that? Mm-hmm. Before he even started working on the case? That's right. It's a direct quote. Uh, but don't ask me how he expects to crack it. All I know is that if Philo Vance says he'll do it, he'll do it. This is District Attorney Markham. The Green Girl's murder case opened with the finding of the body of Jane Green, daughter of wealthy Mr. and Mrs. Eric Green. The next day, Penny Green was found, murdered in the identical manner as her sister. Philo Vance entered the case this afternoon, and after a talk with me, went immediately to the Green home where he was to meet Sergeant Heath. Heath and Vance should be together about now because it is... Want to see Mr. and Mrs. Green now, Vance? No, Sergeant Heath, not at the moment. Whose room is this? Uh, this was Penny's room. Why? I'd like to see it. 
nothing in it that'll help you except your diary. Well, come on in. And there are the lights. Thank you. You think the diary will help me? Yeah. Who knows what'll help you? Here it is, over on this dresser. Oh, yes, of course. I'd like to take a look through this. Help yourself. Mm. Went shopping this morning with Jay. Lunch with Jay. That make good show. Home. Home. Hmm. That's the last entry. Made the day of her sister's murder. Yeah. She and her sister went everywhere together. Her sister's name is Jane. Yes, though. I know, Sergeant. Nothing else in here you think might be helpful? Not a thing. Well, I'll take your word for it. You're a very thorough police officer, Heath. Thanks, Vance. Well, where to now? I thought I might like to talk to Mrs. Green. I understand she's taking this better than her husband. Yeah, well, she's in here. It's kind of a sitting room. Uh, you want me in with you? Not unless you want to come. Uh, just as soon not. I've questioned her till I'm blue in the face. Uh, I'll, I'll see you. Come in. How do you do, Mrs. Green? I'm Philo Vance. Oh, hello, Mr. Vance. I've been reading about you in this paper. Do you really think you can find out who killed my daughters? I'm going to try, Mrs. Green. I may need a little help, though. Well, tell me what you want to know. Thank you. To begin with, I understand your two daughters were very close. Yes, they were. Both of them favorites of their father. Both of them. What about Jane's boyfriend, the lad she was engaged to? Jim Manning? Well, uh, what do you want to know about him? He and Jane were very much in love. I see, Mrs. Green. I'm sorry if this sounds awkward, and I know it will, but where were you at the time Jane was killed? At home, here with my husband. We didn't leave the house all evening. Uh, Sergeant Heath checked that with Mr. Green and the servants. I'm going to tell you why I asked. You see, Mrs. Green, there was a possibility, a remote possibility, of course, that you might have wanted your stepdaughter's dead. I, Mr. Vance? I said it was a remote possibility. <sighs> the reason might have been this. While they were alive, they would share in Mr. Green's money in the event that he died. I understand he isn't too well. With them dead, you'd get it all. I see what you mean. I'm sorry, Mr. Vance, but I'm afraid you're going to have to look elsewhere for your killer. I was at home. Five people know I was here. Six. I believe that now. Thank you. Mrs. Green, please forgive these wandering eyes of mine, but your purse is open and there's a very strange disc on top of the handkerchief in your pocketbook. What is it? Oh, that? Oh, it's a chip, a poker chip. Mr. Green and I used to have poker parties here once in a while, and, well, I needed some extra chips. I was going to have that one matched. I see. And your husband's name is Eric Green. Yes. The initials on the poker chip are M.G. Mistake, perhaps? The first initial? Oh, yes. I didn't mean the initial, Mrs. Green. sliding panels in the doors. This is really a gambling house, isn't it? What's it to you? My name is Vance, Philo Vance. I'd like to see the owner of this place. I understand his name is Gibson, Mike Gibson. He ain't in. Get lost. My good man, it took me two hours to find out what individual whose initials were M.G. operated a gambling house. I assure you, I won't leave until I see him. So wait. See what good it does you. Oh, it's trouble, Tommy. Guy named Vance. Philo Vance. He wants in. I don't know him. He don't get in. Them's your orders. Philo Vance? Mm. Open the door, Mike. Glad to have him with us. 
Okay, you're the boss. Come on in. Thank you. And thank you, Mr. Gibson, for giving your man here permission to let me in. That's all right, Brats. What's in your mind? Can we talk here? Here, out in the gambling room, in my office, anywhere you like. Your office, then. Right this way. Better quarter, I know why you're here, Brats. Gambling isn't my line, Mr. Gibson. I don't generally bet either. Betting is for suckers. <laughs> I like to let them think they can beat percentages. They can't, but they get a whole lot older and a whole lot poorer before they learn. In here. <laughs> Make yourself comfortable, Vance. Well, thank you. I will. Now, Vance, you're here because of some connection between this joint and the murder of those green kids. That's what you think, right? That seems a reasonable assumption. You know I don't gamble. You've read I was working on the murders. Yes, that's right, Mr. Gibson. Tell me, did the Green sisters gamble? You know, all of a sudden, I don't hear so good. Did Mrs. Green gamble? My hearing ain't a bit better. How do you count for a thing like that? What is your connection with the murder of the green girls? Connection? I got no connection. <laughs> hey, Daddy, there's a... Oh, I'm sorry, Daddy. I didn't know you were busy. See you in a little while, Peggy. Okay, but Just I... a minute, please. Oh, you want to see me? Yes. My name is Vance. You work here? Look, Vance, Peggy doesn't know anything about this case. Of course I don't. For what case? Never mind. You had a message to deliver to Mr. Gibson just now, Peggy. Sure, he's supposed to call Plaza 81561. Oh, isn't that the number of the green residence, Mr. Gibson? I wouldn't know. So long, Peggy. She's not leaving. Unless you prefer I talk to her outside. Talk to her anywhere you like. We've got nothing to hide. Personally, I got some business to take care of. Tell him anything he wants to know, Peggy. As if you knew anything. Well? Oh, he's the nicest daddy. All right, Peggy, let's drop the act. Huh? What's your connection with the green girl's murder case? Hey, look, Vance, don't go tying me up with any murder rap. I'm a girl just, just trying to get along. I don't mess with killings. What about Gibson? I don't mess with killers either. I know better. I don't doubt it. The trouble is, Peggy, that perhaps you don't know enough. Hello there, Vance. Hello, Markham. I hope I didn't keep you waiting long. I've just come from a very enlightening meeting with a gambler named Gibson and his girlfriend. Where's Mrs. Green? In her room next to her husband's. She rarely leaves at Vance. I told her you were coming and she said to go right in when you came. Well, then let's go. Good evening, Mrs. Green. Oh, how do you do, Mr. Vance? Uh, hello again, Mr. Markham. Hello. Mrs. Green, I know you'll be very interested in who killed your daughters, so I thought I'd come up to tell you this in person. Is Mr. Green awake? Why, no, he's asleep in the next room. The door's open, so please don't raise your voice if you can help it. I rarely raise my voice, Mrs. Green. What I wanted you to know was this. I've just been to see a gambler named Gibson. That name mean anything to you? Why, no, it doesn't. Good. The police have Mr. Gibson's telephone lines tapped. They can listen to any calls that come to him. In an hour, there'll be a cordon around the block to intercept anyone who tries to get to Mr. Gibson. Better make that two hours, Vance. There are a lot of preparations for what you want. In two hours, then. Now, Mrs. Green, I want you to do something for me. Yes? Get on the telephone and tell James' fiancé, Mr. James Manning, exactly what I told you. But add this fact. That Mr. Gibson told me that if I came back this evening, he'd tell me what I want to know about the murder of your two girls. <laughs> Hmm, 
awful weather, Vance. Awful? It's miserable. It's raining cats and dogs. Yes, it is, Sergeant Heath. We're lucky we have this doorway to shelter us. Do you mean to tell me that that little black door across the street there leads to a gambling joint, Vance? It leads to Mr. Mike Gibson's gambling house, Sergeant. Very swanky, too, believe me. I believe you when I see who else it is you expect to drive up there. Jim Manning was there, but he couldn't get in. How long do you expect... There's somebody, Vance. I got out of that car and headed right for the door. I'm an old fella. Hey, that's Mr. Green. Yes, it is. Is that our suspected murderer, Vance? I'll let you know in a minute, Mark. want to see if he gets into the gambling house. He's arguing with the guy at the door. The guy just closed the slide in his face. There goes Mr. Green back in his car. You can forget about Mr. Green, Mark. He isn't involved in those murders. Well, then who is? I think I know who is, but I'll be certain in a few minutes. Hey, what was that green guy doing out here? He's supposed to be in bed. I can explain that, I think, later. There's another car at the door, Vance. Oh, no, no, it's a cab. Hey, a woman's getting out. She just made a beeline for that door. Can't blame her much in this weather, can you, Sergeant? Oh, I guess not. There's that guy sliding open that peephole. Hey, he's letting her in. That's all I wanted to know. Sergeant Heath, you can arrest Mrs. Green for murder. Wait a minute, Vance. When her daughter Jane was killed, we know for a fact that she was in her house. She was, Markham. But I repeat, you can arrest Mrs. Green for murder. desk, Daniels. Mac, Joe. Yeah? The Green Sisters case is cracked. Oh, yeah? I just came from an interview with Philo Vance. Get this and get it quick. Go ahead, Mac. Talk. I'll take it from the top. Going way back, Penny Green, that's the second sister who was killed, wanted to marry Jim Manning. That was Jane's fiancé. How did Vance figure that? The initial J in Penny's diary. All along, they took it for granted that that meant Jane. But Vance figured it stood for Jimmy and he checked. I got it. Jim told Vance he'd had a lot of trouble with Penny because apparently she was in love with him. He went shopping with Penny to buy a present for Jane. That explains the diary notation, eh? Right. The rest of this is a quote from Vance. Quote, At midnight on the murder night, Penny called her sister out of her house, saying it was urgent. Jane left, and Penny killed her. End quote. Penny killed Jane? Mm-hmm. Then why did they arrest Mrs. Green? Quote from Vance. It was Mrs. Green who killed Penny. She realized what had happened, and she owed a great deal of money to Mike Gibson. She saw a way of getting rid of Penny so that she, Mrs. Green, would own the entire Green estate when Eric Green died, end quote. What about Mike Gibson? Vance says it was probably he who suggested that Mrs. Green kill Penny in the same way that Jane was killed to make the police think that one murderer was at work. It was he, too, who undoubtedly called Markham to keep Vance off the case, Vance thinks. What goes with old man Green? Eric Green was not asleep when Vance asked his wife to call Jim Manning earlier this evening. He heard Vance say that Mike Gibson knew who killed his daughters, so he wanted to find out who it was. Yeah? That's why he went to Gibson's place. Only couldn't get in. Which convinced Vance he hadn't been there before. You see, Vance thought it might have been he who owed Gibson the money. I see. He never was certain that it was Mrs. Green until she got in the gambling house without any trouble. Final quote from Vance. Quote, this was all a very clever scheme on the part of Mrs. Green and Gibson. Uh Undoubtedly, they figured on doing away with Mr. Green eventually, and that would leave Mrs. Green with all the money and Gibson with his outstanding gambling debt collected. Yeah, yeah. After Penny set the stage by murdering her sister under the impression 
that that would induce Jim Manning to eventually marry her, end quote. Well, that's 30, Joe. Got it. Well, it was a good scheme, I guess, but it sure came to a bad end for Mrs. Green. Yeah, but it's a good end for the Green Girl's murder case. That's it for Case Closed this week. There's more from Philo Vance, Johnny Dollar, Case Closed, and all of the Relic Radio podcasts at the website, relicradio.com. You'll find our Shoutcast stream there as well, and everything else Relic Radio. If you'd like to help support this and all of the shows, donate.relicradio.com. We'll take you to our donations page. We've got some downloadable sets for certain donation amounts, though any amount is always appreciated and helpful. Thank you again to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. Be back next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed.